part seventeen of a collection of stories reviews and essays by willis siebert cather this librivox recording is in the public domain part seventeen her boss sections one and two paul wanning opened the front door of his house in orange closed it softly behind him and stood looking about the hall as he drew off his gloves nothing was changed there since last night and yet he stood gazing about him with an interest which a long-married man does not often feel in his own reception-hall the rugs the two pillars the spanish tapestry chairs were all the same the venus de medici stood on her column as usual and there at the end of the hall opposite the front door was the full-length portrait of mrs wanning maturely blooming forth in an evening gown signed with the name of a french painter who seemed purposely to have made his signature indistinct though the signature was largely what one paid for one couldn't ask him to do it over in the dining-room the coloured man was moving about the table set for dinner under the electric cluster the candles had not yet been lighted wanning watched him with a homesick feeling in his heart they had had sam a long while twelve years now his warm hall the lighted dining-room the drawing-room where only the flicker of the wood fire played upon the shining surfaces of many objects they seemed to wanning like a haven of refuge it had never occurred to him that his house was too full of things he often said and he believed that the women of his household had perfect taste he had paid for these objects sometimes with difficulty but always with pride he carried a heavy life insurance and permitted himself to spend most of the income from a good law practice he wished during his lifetime to enjoy the benefits of his wife's discriminating extravagance yesterday wanning's doctor had sent him to a specialist to-day the specialist after various laboratory tests had told him most disconcerting things about the state of very necessary but hitherto wholly uninteresting organs of his body the information pointed to something incredible insinuated that his residence in this house was only temporary that he whose time was so full might have to leave not only his house and his office and his club but a world with which he was extremely well satisfied the only world he knew anything about wanning unbuttoned his overcoat but did not take it off he stood folding his muffler slowly and carefully what he did not understand was how he could go while other people stayed sam would be moving about the table like this mrs wanning and her daughters would be dressing upstairs when he would not be coming home to dinner any more when he would not indeed be dining anywhere sam coming to turn on the parlour lights saw wanning and stepped behind him to take his coat good evening mr wanning sir excuse me you entered so quietly sir i didn't hear you the master of the house slipped out of his coat and went languidly upstairs he tapped at the door of his wife's room which stood ajar come in paul she called from her dressing-table she was seated in a violet dressing-gown giving the last touches to her coiffure both arms lifted they were firm and white like her neck and shoulders 
she was a handsome woman of fifty-five still a woman not an old person wanning told himself as he kissed her cheek she was heavy in figure to be sure but she had kept on the whole presentable outlines her complexion was good and she wore less false hair than either of her daughters wanning himself was five years older but his sandy hair did not show the grey in it and since his moustache had begun to grow white he kept it clipped so short that it was unobtrusive his fresh skin made him look younger than he was not long ago he had overheard the stenographers in his law office discussing the ages of their employers they had put him down at fifty agreeing that his two partners must be considerably older than he which was not the case wanning had an especially kindly feeling for the little new girl a copyist who had exclaimed that mr wanning couldn't be fifty he seemed so boyish wanning lingered behind his wife looking at her in the mirror well did you tell the girls julia he asked trying to speak casually mrs wanning looked up and met his eyes in the glass the girls she noticed a strange expression come over his face about your health you mean yes dear but i tried not to alarm them they feel dreadfully i'm going to have a talk with dr sears myself these specialists are all alarmists and i've often heard of his frightening people she rose and took her husband's arm drawing him toward the fireplace you are not going to let this upset you paul if you take care of yourself everything will come out all right you have always been so strong one has only to look at you did you wanning asked say anything to harold yes of course i saw him in town to-day and he agrees with me that sears draws the worst conclusions possible he says even the young men are always being told the most terrifying things usually they laugh at the doctors and do as they please you certainly don't look like a sick man and you don't feel like one do you she patted his shoulder smiled at him encouragingly and rang for the maid to come and hook her dress when the maid appeared at the door wanning went out through the bathroom to his own sleeping chamber he was too much dispirited to put on a dinner coat though such remissness was always noticed he sat down and waited for the sound of the gong leaving his door open on the chance that perhaps one of his daughters would come in when wanning went down to dinner he found his wife already at her chair and the table laid for four harold she explained is not coming home he has to attend a first night in town a moment later their two daughters entered obviously dressed they both wore earrings and masses of hair the daughters names were roma and florence roma fiorenza one of the young men who came to the house often but not often enough had called them to-night they were going to a rehearsal of the dances of the nations a benefit performance in which miss roma was to lead the spanish dances her sister the grecian the elder daughter had often been told that her name suited her admirably she looked indeed as we are apt to think the unrestrained beauties of later rome must have looked but as their portrait busts emphatically declare they did not her head was massive her lips full and crimson her eyes large and heavy-lidded her forehead low 
at costume balls and in living pictures she was always semiramis or Poppea or theodora barbaric accessories brought out something cruel and even rather brutal in her handsome face the men who were attracted to her were somehow afraid of her florence was slender with a long graceful neck a restless head and a flexible mouth discontent lurked about the corners of it her shoulders were pretty but her neck and arms were too thin roma was always struggling to keep within a certain weight her chin and upper arms grew persistently more solid and florence was always striving to attain a certain weight wanning used sometimes to wonder why these disconcerting fluctuations could not go the other way why roma could not melt away as easily as did her sister who had to be sent to palm beach to save the precious pounds i don't see why you ever put ricky allen in charge of the english country dances florence said to her sister as they sat down he knows the figures of course but he has no real style roma looked annoyed ricky allen was one of the men who came to the house almost often enough he is absolutely to be depended upon that's why she said firmly i think he is just right for it florence put in mrs wanning it's remarkable he should feel that he can give up the time such a busy man he must be very much interested in the movement florence's lip curled drolly under her soup-spoon she shot an amused glance at her mother's dignity nothing doing her keen eyes seemed to say though florence was nearly thirty and her sister a little beyond there was seriously nothing doing with so many charms and so much preparation they never as florence vulgarly said quite pulled it off they had been rushed time and again and mrs wanning had repeatedly steeled herself to bear the blow but the young men went to follow a career in mexico or the philippines or moved to yonkers and escaped without a mortal wound roma turned graciously to her father i met mr lane at the holland house to-day where i was lunching with the burtons father he asked about you and when i told him you were not so well as usual he said he would call you up he wants to tell you about some doctor he discovered in iowa who cures everything with massage and hot water it sounds freakish but mr lane is a very clever man isn't he very assented wanning i should think he must be sighed mrs wanning how in the world did he make all that money paul he didn't seem especially promising years ago when we used to see so much of them corporation business he's attorney for the p l and g murmured her husband what a pile he must have florence watched the old negro's slow movements with restless eyes here is jenny a contessa with a glorious palace in genoa that her father must have bought her surely aldrini had nothing have you seen the baby count's pictures roma they're very cunning i should think you'd go to genoa and visit jenny we must arrange that roma it's such an opportunity though mrs wanning addressed her daughter she looked at her husband you would get on so well among their friends when count aldrini was here you spoke italian much better than poor jenny i remember when we entertained him he could scarcely say anything to her at all 
florence tried to call up an answering flicker of amusement upon her sister's calm well-bred face she thought her mother was rather outdoing herself to-night since aldrini had at least managed to say the one important thing to jenny somehow somewhere jenny lane had been roma's friend and schoolmate and the count was an ephemeral hope in orange mrs wanning was one of the first matrons to declare that she had no prejudices against foreigners and at the dinners that were given for the count roma was always put next to him to act as interpreter roma again turned to her father if i were you dear i would let mr lane tell me about his doctor new discoveries are often made by queer people roma's voice was low and sympathetic she never lost her dignity florence asked if she might have her coffee in her room while she dashed off a note and she ran upstairs humming bright lights and wondering how she was going to stand her family until the summer scattering why should roma never throw off her elegant reserve and call things by their names she sometimes thought she might like her sister if she would only come out in the open and howl about her disappointments roma drinking her coffee deliberately asked her father if they might have the car early as they wanted to pick up mr allen and mr rydberg on their way to rehearsal wanning said certainly heaven knew he was not stingy about his car though he could never quite forget that in his day it was the young men who used to call for the girls when they went to rehearsals you are going with us mother roma asked as they rose i think so dear your father will want to go to bed early and i shall sleep better if i go out i am going to town to-morrow to pour tea for harold we must get him some new silver paul i am quite ashamed of his spoons harold the only son was a playwright as yet unproduced and he had a studio in washington square a half-hour later wanning was alone in his library he would not permit himself to feel aggrieved what was more commendable than a mother's interest in her children's pleasures moreover it was his wife's way of following things up of never letting dye grass grow under her feet that had helped to push him along in the world she was more ambitious than he that had been good for him he was naturally indolent and julia's childlike desire to possess material objects to buy what other people were buying had been the spur that made him go after business it had moreover made his house the attractive place he believed it to be suppose his wife sometimes said to him when the bills came in from celeste or madame blanche suppose you had homely daughters how would you like that he wouldn't have liked it when he went anywhere with his three ladies wanning always felt very well done by he had no complaint to make about them or about anything that was why it seemed so unreasonable he felt along his back incredulously with his hand harold of course was a trial but among all his business friends he knew scarcely one who had a promising boy the house was so still that wanning could hear a faint metallic tinkle from the butler's pantry old sam was washing up the silver which he put away himself every night wanning rose and walked aimlessly down the hall and out through the dining-room any apollinaris on ice sam i'm not feeling very well to-night 
the old coloured man dried his hands yes sir mr wanning have a little rye with it sir no thank you sam that's one of the things i can't do any more i've been to see a big doctor in the city and he tells me there's something seriously wrong with me my kidneys have sort of gone back on me it was a satisfaction to wanning to name the organ that had betrayed him while all the rest of him was so sound sam was immediately interested he shook his grizzled head and looked full of wisdom don't seem like a delman a such a temperate life ought to have anything wrong thar sir no it doesn't does it wanning leaned against the china closet and talked to sam for nearly half an hour the specialist who condemned him hadn't seemed half so much interested there was not a detail about the examination and the laboratory tests in which sam did not show the deepest concern he kept asking wanning if he could remember straining himself when he was a young man i've knowed a strain like that to sleep in a man for years and years and then come back on him deed i have he said mysteriously and again it might be you got a floatin kidney sir after they once tear loose they sometimes don't make no trouble for quite a while when wanning went to his room he did not go to bed he sat up until he heard the voices of his wife and daughters in the hall below his own bed somehow frightened him in all the years he had lived in this house he had never before looked about his room at that bed with the thought that he might one day be trapped there and might not get out again he had been ill of course but his room had seemed a particularly pleasant place for a sick man sunlight flowers agreeable well-dressed women coming in and out now there was something sinister about the bed itself about its position and its relation to the rest of the furniture two the next morning on his way downtown wanning got off the subway train at astor place and walked over to washington square he climbed three flights of stairs and knocked at his son's studio harold dressed with his stick and gloves in his hand opened the door he was just going over to the brevoort for breakfast he greeted his father with the cordial familiarity practised by all the boys of his set clapped him on the shoulder and said in his light tonsillitis voice come in governor how delightful i haven't had a call from you in a long time he threw his hat and gloves on the writing-table he was a perfect gentleman even with his father florence said the matter with harold was that he had heard people say he looked like byron and stood for it what harold would stand for in such matters was indeed the best definition of him when he read his play the street-walker in drawing-rooms and one lady told him it had the poetic symbolism of chekhov and another said it suggested the biting realism of Breer, he never in his most secret thoughts questioned the acumen of either lady harold's speech even if you heard it in the next room and could not see him told you that he had no sense of the absurd a throaty staccato with never a downward inflection trustfully striving to please just going out his father asked i won't keep you your mother told you i had a discouraging session with sears so awfully sorry you've had this bother governor just as sorry as i can be 
no question about its coming out all right but it's a downright nuisance your having to diet and that sort of thing and i suppose you ought to follow directions just to make us all feel comfortable oughtn't you harold spoke with fluent sympathy wanning sat down on the arm of a chair and shook his head yes they do recommend a diet but they don't promise much from it harold laughed precipitately delicious all doctors are aren't they so profound and oracular the medicine man it's quite the same idea you see with tom-toms wanning knew that harold meant something subtle one of the subtleties which he said were only spoiled by being explained so he came bluntly to one of the issues he had in mind i would like to see you settled before i quit the harness harold harold was absolutely tolerant he took out his cigarette-case and burnished it with his handkerchief i perfectly understand your point of view dear governor but perhaps you don't altogether get mine isn't it so i am settled what you mean by being settled would unsettle me completely i'm cut out for just such an existence as this to live four floors up in an attic get my own breakfast and have a charwoman to do for me i should be awfully bored with an establishment i'm quite content with a little diggings like this wanning's eyes fell somebody had to pay the rent for even such modest quarters as contented harold but to say so would be rude and harold himself was never rude wanning did not this morning feel equal to hearing a statement of his son's uncommercial ideals i know he said hastily but now we're up against hard facts my boy i did not want to alarm your mother but i've had a time limit put on me and it's not a very long one harold threw away the cigarette he had just lighted in a burst of indignation that's the sort of thing i consider criminal father absolutely criminal what doctor has a right to suggest such a thing sears himself may be knocked out to-morrow what have laboratory tests got to do with a man's will to live the force of that depends upon his entire personality not on any organ or pair of organs harold thrust his hands in his pockets and walked up and down very much stirred really i have a very poor opinion of scientists they ought to be made serve an apprenticeship in art to get some conception of the power of human motives such brutality harold's plays dealt with the grimmest and most depressing matters but he himself was always agreeable and he insisted upon high cheerfulness as the correct tone of human intercourse wanning rose and turned to go there was in harold simply no reality to which one could break through the young man took up his hat and gloves must you go let me step along with you to the sub the walk will do me good harold talked agreeably all the way to astor place his father heard little of what he said but he rather liked his company and his wish to be pleasant wanning went to his club for luncheon meaning to spend the afternoon with some of his friends who had retired from business and who read the papers there in the empty hours between two and seven he got no satisfaction however when he tried to tell these men of his present predicament they began to describe ills of their own in which he could not feel interested 
each one of them had a treacherous organ of which he spoke with animation almost with pride as if it were a crafty business competitor whom he was constantly outwitting each had a doctor too for whom he was ardently soliciting business they wanted either to telephone their doctor and make an appointment for wanning or to take him then and there to the consulting-room when he did not accept these invitations they lost interest in him and remembered engagements he called a taxi and returned to the offices of mcquiston wade and wanning settled at his desk wanning decided that he would not go home to dinner but would stay at the office and dictate a long letter to an old college friend who lived in wyoming he could tell douglas brown things that he had not succeeded in getting to any one else brown out in the wind river mountains couldn't defend himself couldn't slap wanning on the back and tell him to gather up the sunbeams he called up his house in orange to say that he would not be home until late roma answered the telephone he spoke mournfully but she was not disturbed by it very well father don't get too tired she said in her well-modulated voice when wanning was ready to dictate his letter he looked out from his private office into the reception-room and saw that his stenographer in her hat and gloves and furs of the newest cut was just leaving good-night mr wanning she said drawing down her dotted veil had there been important business letters to be got off on the night mail he would have felt that he could detain her but not for anything personal miss doane was an expert legal stenographer and she knew her value the slightest delay in dispatching office business annoyed her letters that were not signed until the next morning awoke her deepest contempt she was scrupulous in professional etiquette and wanning felt that their relations though pleasant were scarcely cordial as miss doane's trim figure disappeared through the outer door little annie woolley the copyist came in from the stenographer's room her hat was pinned over one ear and she was scrambling into her coat as she came holding her gloves in her teeth and her battered handbag in the fist that was already through a sleeve annie i want to dictate a letter you were just leaving weren't you oh i don't mind she answered cheerfully and pulling off her old coat threw it on a chair i'll get my book she followed him into his room and sat down by a table though she wrote with her book on her knee wanning had several times kept her after office hours to take his private letters for him and she had always been good-natured about it on each occasion when he gave her a dollar to get her dinner she protested laughing and saying that she could never eat so much as that she seemed a happy sort of little creature didn't pout when she was scolded and giggled about her own mistakes in spelling she was plump and undersized always dodging under the elbows of taller people and clattering about on high heels much run over she had bright black eyes and fuzzy black hair in which despite miss doane's reprimands she often stuck her pencil she was the girl who couldn't believe that wanning was fifty and he had liked her ever since he overheard that conversation tilting back his chair he never assumed this position when he dictated to miss doane wanning began to mr d e brown south forks wyoming he shaded his eyes with his hand 
and talked off a long letter to this man who would be sorry that his mortal frame was breaking up he recalled to him certain fine months they had spent together on the wind river when they were young men and said he sometimes wished that like d e brown he had claimed his freedom in a big country where the wheels did not grind a man as hard as they did in new york he had spent all these years hustling about and getting ready to live the way he wanted to live and now he had a puncture the doctors couldn't mend what was the use of it wanning's thoughts were fixed on the trout streams and the great silver firs in the canyons of the wind river mountains when he was disturbed by a soft repeated sniffling he looked out between his fingers little annie carried away by his eloquence was fairly panting to make dots and dashes fast enough and she was sopping her eyes with an unpresentable end-of-the-day handkerchief wanning rambled on in his dictation why was she crying what did it matter to her he was a man who said good morning to her who sometimes took an hour of the precious few she had left at the end of the day and then complained about her bad spelling when the letter was finished he handed her a new two-dollar bill i haven't got any change to-night and anyhow i'd like you to eat a whole lot i'm on a diet and i want to see everybody else eat annie tucked her notebook under her arm and stood looking at the bill which she had not taken up from the table i don't like to be paid for taking letters to your friends mr wanning she said impulsively i can run personal letters off between times it ain't as if i needed the money she added carelessly oh get along with you anybody who is eighteen years old and has a sweet tooth needs money all they can get annie giggled and darted out with the bill in her hand wanning strolled aimlessly after her into the reception-room let me have that letter before lunch to-morrow please and be sure that nobody sees it he stopped and frowned i don't look very sick do i i should say you don't annie got her coat on after considerable tugging why don't you call in a specialist my mother called a specialist for my father before he died oh is your father dead i should say he is he was a painter by trade and he fell off a seventy-foot stack into the east river mother couldn't get anything out of the company because he wasn't buckled he lingered for four months so i know all about taking care of sick people i was attending business college then and sick as he was he used to give me dictation for practice he made us all go into professions the girls too he didn't like us to just run wanning would have liked to keep annie and hear more about her family but it was nearly seven o'clock and he knew he ought in mercy to let her go she was the only person to whom he had talked about his illness who had been frank and honest with him who had looked at him with eyes that concealed nothing when he broke the news of his condition to his partners that morning they shut him off as if he were uttering indecent ravings all day they had met him with a hurried abstracted manner mcquiston and wade went out to lunch together and he knew what they were thinking perhaps talking about wanning had brought into the firm valuable business but he was less enterprising than either of his partners End of part 17